You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Sovereign Self is about individual empowerment and freedom. In exploring this sovereign self, our discussions will encompass self-love, oneness, and diverse spiritual understandings as life is a journey of expansion which never ends. Join author Martin Neil Campbell, trainer and business facilitator Karen Murphy, and spiritual archaeologist Ron Mayer as their discussions help lead their listeners into an ever-expanding journey of peace, love, joy, and freedom to become who you desire and be your sovereign self. Welcome to Sovereign Self. I am your host, Martin Neil Campbell, and your fabulously divine and wondrous co-host, as always, (laughs) are Karen Murphy and Ron Mayer. On today's program, we are going to be talking about certain aspects about becoming your sovereign self. We're going to be going through certain aspects of what we call mastery and spiritual mastery and self-mastery, including items such as self-discipline, integrity, and respect, and how they all tie in to becoming your sovereign self. And I don't think I need any more of an introduction than that. So, I'll throw it out to you, Karen. Wow. Um, I think this topic is really widespread. I think it's one that we could probably go on for hours and hours about. Um, I think one of the, I mean, all, all of those aspects are near and dear to my heart. But the one that kind of resonates with me um, over the last week or so would be that of integrity. And I actually think of integrity as, and when I look at you know a variety of definitions about it, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles moral uprightness, it is generally a person, a personal choice to uphold oneself to, uh, I guess, more of a, a consistency, uh, a consistent moral and ethical standard. And I think that especially during times that we're facing right now with such high energy and with so much going on in the world, I think it's really important to show our own integrity and uphold that. What are our moral ethics? What do we believe in? What are, we often talk about our our core drivers, Martin, you refer to them as core drivers, core beliefs, and are we upholding those and are we being true to those and showing our integrity on a day-to-day basis? I think that's key. Mm -hmm. And I always add to that, if you don't mind, that I I say, always look at my morals as what I believe should be done coming from my center of love, understanding, and oneness. And I always look on integrity as how well I adhere to my morals. Absolutely. So good, good point, Martin. It's integrity is is in a way uh, walking the talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we we hear a lot about that in business. You know, well, they're not walking the talk, or you know, even politics, and and anybody. You know, when people say things and then don't follow through. Exactly. And leading by example. Yeah. You know, and often catching yourself, you know, if we oftentimes we've talked about this in past shows that when we see something that maybe seems incongruent to us in someone else or something that doesn't feel right or we don't like it or aren't in tune to it, we've often talked about that being a mirror image of perhaps some things that we need to work on or a reflection of things that we've already worked on. So when you talk about that 
you know, that walking the talk and leading by example, that's exactly what I think of. It's when I see somebody, I think, oh, that doesn't sit right with me. It does cause me to ponder and say, hmm, look in your own backyard. How often are you actually leading by example? And when do you Mm -hmm. fall short? Mm -hmm. Good point, Martin. Another aspect of integrity also would be when, for instance, I fall short with my own goals, for instance, and I have a sister or a brother who is observing me, self-deprecating humor is, is a real mm. big issue for me sometimes when, where I try to get a laugh, but at my own expense. And that is not true to being yourself and, and nor honest with yourself. One of my sisters in the medicine circle that I was a part of for, for quite a number of years would often come to me and let me know specifically when I was doing that. It was very difficult for her because here she was having to be as truthful, as honest as possible in telling me, Ron, listen, you're you're not doing yourself a service by being in, in this fashion. So integrity not only with myself, but also integrity with other people who are around you and may also be trying to hold their integrity by not allowing you to slip and then they don't do anything about it. Hmm. I like that, Ron. You know, I, I have to um, say I must be your twin from another mother because <laughs> I have uh, I have the exact same issue. I will poke fun at mm-hmm. what I believe to be my flaws. Yes. And I've often, not unlike you, I've often had people say, "What? Why are you doing that?" And I'll say, "Well, I just jest. I'm, I'm just I'm just joking." Yeah. And they'll say, yeah. "Well, it's not very funny." Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And in the most sincere way, in the most loving way, but it does cause me to think, oh, what am I putting out there if I'm constantly putting myself down mm-hmm. in, in humor? And yes. it can be very cleverly disguised. You may, you may even get other people laughing along with you. Uh-huh, yeah. However, the person who recognizes and has integrity within themselves, and integrity, there are two types of integrity. There's integrity, and then what I call absolute integrity, and you, you can feel what might be the difference there. Integrity, you begin, you begin your route to mastering integrity with the small things in your life. You let something slip, or you recognize it, and you get back on top of it. You address somebody's self-deprecating humor as in a loving manner, but you don't let it slip. You don't because it might because something might make you feel uncomfortable. You still have the responsibility of addressing the issue when you see it happen. And that to me is the move from integrity and eventually embracing absolute integrity. You know, absolute integrity is always holding your integrity no matter what the circumstances surrounding are and always addressing the imbalances when they happen. Yeah, it, it, it is speaking your truth. Yes. Uh, but coming from the heart. Yes. And, and it's interesting in that, and it's, it's funny, and I think we mentioned it last program, a lot of people say that they want, you know, as we mentioned, peace and harmony on this earth. And they don't want any more wars, and they don't want all this fighting, and they don't want mm-hmm. all these things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you do want peace and harmony on the earth, then the last thing you should do is give in to negative talk about people. And it gets into the whole thing about gossip as well. Because yeah. so many people love tearing down other people and gossiping about them and everything else that 
that I'm not sure that is showing much much integrity if your moral center is that that's no way to behave and it, and it's especially shown when you don't like it done towards yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we so easily fall into those things where you you say something about someone and it can go on to many layers because if you do want peace and harmony then where are your prejudices where are your thoughts about someone that they're not doing something right trying to make yourself feel better right all of that comes into in layers and layers on this as well integrity is very big in that sense integrity is coming from your heart center and literally walking the talk in every instant mm-hmm. and speaking your truth well if we talk about that whole negative self-talk and ron you and i were talking about you know cracking jokes at ourselves that that mm-hmm. shows a lack of self-integrity mm-hmm. and i think martin when you talked about gossip with other people if we take a look and take a step back and have a little bit more awareness about ourselves if we see ourselves doing it oftentimes if you see someone else doing it then others think it's okay to poke fun at it it's like oh well they they say it anyways it doesn't bother them Mm -hmm. they make you know they make jokes about them being blonde or fat or short or tall or two left feet so it's okay if i do it and in fact it is not Mm -hmm. well and that's the thing it's so easy to give in to the crowd Right. If you're with a group of people and they start heading down a path, it can be very difficult for a lot of people to sit there and go, no, this is not a route we should go to, and then figure out how to deal with it, rather than give in and laugh with them and give another you know, joke putting someone down or, or something like that. It's, it's so easy just to give in because everyone else is going there. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a toughie. It is a toughie because oftentimes when people are doing it, especially if it comes from the form of that in jest. So if I am continually not showing myself integrity for myself Uh and making fun of myself, then others almost feel like they've gotten permission to do so. Uh And then it's difficult when you're in a crowd to say, hmm, is that although we when we stand back, we know it's not right. And when I say right, I don't mean right as in right or wrong, but we know it's not showing our utmost integrity. Uh How does one approach that? Do you not engage? Do you call other people out? How do we approach that in a group? Well, for me, depending on who it is that you're addressing, let's let's say... I'm witnessing someone being self-deprecating mm-hmm. and I, I'm and I'm looking at that and I'm saying to myself, do I allow this person to continue being self-deprecating and continue to support his weakness? Because that's what that's what self-deprecating is. It's a weakness. Right. Or have I been given the permission by this person to address the condition? Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes well, it's a it's a sense of of having permission, having been given permission, and that depends on the kind of relationship you have with the person. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head last week as well, Ron. It is, and I think the phrase you used, it is a cry for help as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, 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 all weakness is always that's being demonstrated in one way, shape, or form. For me, is always a cry for help. Yep. That's how I look at it in order for me not to fall into an emotional button-pushing situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, very true. You know, it, it's interesting that so much of the world has gone into that. Yes. We get sort of events that take place, you know, for many decades, no matter when it was, an event will take place mm-hmm. that you can point at people 
and accuse them, or whether it's religion, whether it's race, whether it's creed or color or what have you, and everyone seems to jump on it mm-hmm. and loving someone else to blame. But one of the biggest ones that is still quite common, I have found, is gay jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Even at work, there was you know a group of people for dinner, and someone said a gay joke, and they all laughed. And I sort of looked at them and said, no, that's not appropriate, nor is it funny. It's very interesting the way all uh, the people there immediately recognize that and sort of looked to each other and said, you know, he's right and apologized and everything else. And it wasn't that I was aiming for an apology. I just wanted to bring it to their attention. But Mm -hmm. it never happened again. So sometimes someone needs that integrity and someone to stand up and say, no, that's not the right thing to do. Inappropriate. Yeah, and they recognize it. Most people do. You know, and I support them. You can say, I know you're better than that. Yeah, exactly. And they are. They are. <laughs> Always. <laughs> you know, there's never any reason for racial, racially, motiv- racially motivated jokes or even women, blonde jokes. Yeah. Or you know, any, any of these types of things which causes a separation and a sense of superiority over another. Right. Those, those, are, those are simply not. That's not appropriate behavior, and definitely there's a lack of integrity there. And I think that, you know, as a society, we've probably taken every, what we, what we believed at one point in time to be a minority or something we could poke fun at. Yeah. And we've taken it to the nth degree that it's almost become the norm, whether it be short jokes, fat jokes, blonde jokes, gay jokes, religious jokes, color jokes, ethnic jokes, and they're just simply not funny. No, and they're done in an, in an effort to make us feel better than the next person. Right. Yes, superiority. Mm-hmm. Yes, superiority, as I said earlier. And these are not attributes of someone who is on the path to self-sovereignty. No. No, not at all. Yeah. No. So, no, but no, that's so, their big learning lesson. <laughs> of course. Yes. As yeah. I, said, I said before, the, all, once you enter the path of self-sovereignty, all of these issues will come to the foreground for everyone <clears throat> it all depends on how much you participate in it. You might not participate in it to to a large degree. It could be just a, an occasional thing every once in a while. But needless to say, we're you know all part of the same human race, and subsequently, we're all carrying the same aspects. Everyone does. No, absolutely. I, I remember, and I'm going to say, I, I think it was probably at least 10 years ago. I remember a Christmas Eve at my place and we were all playing games. And my sister in particular is not a good game player when it comes to whether it be cards or uh, whatever the game happens to be, board game. She's just not really apt at it. And she'd often crack jokes about herself and I would often crack jokes about it. And I remember a particular Christmas Eve cracking a joke about it, thinking, oh, this is all funny, and everybody laughed. And all of a sudden, I took a look back, and I saw her face. And she laughed, too, but it was a laugh in, I'm going to laugh because the whole group's laughing, but inside, you just hurt me. And I felt horrible. Mm-hmm. And it was not it was not of intent. However, it was outside of showing any integrity. Mm-hmm. And it certainly was not being my best self. And that moment, I've never forgotten that. And every time after that, when something has come up, when it comes, because we've been doing it for years, and I find myself catching myself when it comes to cracking a joke, even though the other person cracks it on themselves, to take a step back and say, whoa, that's not funny. As you said, it's a cry for help. It is a cry for help. And a little bit off topic here, when you felt 
what you know the 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 person was feeling your ability to empathize with someone or to feel what they're feeling this is something that's also extremely valuable in the game of victim victimizer you will you will obviously recognize that those who are playing the victimizer will never never allow themselves to feel what the victim's pain that they've caused the the victim's pain themselves they won't allow themselves to feel that right yeah, well, it was a real it was a real eye opener to me. I, like I said, I, I I was sitting on the kitchen floor and I was playing hands down the game hands down with her daughter. Oh, I remember that, and I'll never forget it. Sure as I'm standing here, because it was a momentous time. I thought, wow, that was not funny at all. How dare you check yourself at the door? Yeah, and okay. uh, yeah, it was a real real memorable moment. And the integrity aspect is how do you address that? You know, Martin brings that out. Um, you know, frequently with regards to, you know, how don't don't let it slide, address it when you see it happen. And yeah. that's that's a form of integrity for yourself. Exactly. And and the other subtle difference there too is, you know, do you tell people what they want to hear? Because so many people that do that. Or do you tell them what they need to hear? And again, there's a difference there. Now, it's not done out of superiority or low self-esteem, but a lot of people tell the the white lies and the other things just to get out of a situation. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that is really showing integrity either. Now that's a really subtle one, but yeah. I just wonder what people's thoughts are on that because sometimes, you know, it's these little subtle things that can get insight into, into some of the bigger things. I think from my perspective, and that's a really good point, that that whole white lie is a really fine line I think from my perspective, what I try to do when I'm engaging with someone is to ask them some questions to really get to know them and oftentimes getting underneath what their what their thought process is, what their needs are, helping me to understand that helps me to gauge whether or not, and, and I won't say it's a white lie, but whether I choose to say nothing mm. versus saying what I think and or tempering how I say it. Mm-hmm. in such a way that it might be more well-received but not seem judgmental or discriminatory in any way. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's a very – I've often struggled with that one, Martin. It's a great question. It's because, so do I. Yeah, it's – and I think sometimes our, our sales clerks I'm, – I'm going through the process right now with my, with my daughter um, being newly engaged and getting married. And I found one of these really – one of the awesome techniques I found was – the, the woman that was helping her as she was selecting her wedding dress never said, oh, that looks beautiful on you, or oh, that looks terrible, or oh, that's not right. She started asking lots of questions mm-hmm. about what it was she wanted, what her vision was, what she thought, how she felt. And then only when she felt like she had a better sense, she would then respond with, well, if what you're looking for is this, which is what you told me, then I would recommend this mm. instead of saying, no, that dress isn't suited for what you want. Right. Because going there really gets into opinion in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yes, it and, does. And, you, and you've hit the nail on the head. What do you do when someone says, oh, do you like my new dress? And and it may not be something, well, it may not be something I'd wear. I don't have any dresses, but it, <laughs> may, not, it may not be something I like at all. But you don't go in by saying that. Right. You go in by saying, oh, is that a new dress? Where did you get it? Oh, you must love it. Why do you love it? You, you right. pump, pump them up from another direction. You don't immediately go into, 
oh, it looks hideous, or oh, it makes you look fat, or you know, I hate that color. A lot of people do that. I know. Why are you at, coming at, from there? <laughs> well, and the thing is, if you use the analogy of the dress, um, as you just said, Martin, even though you're not, you don't wear them, it could be something as simple as, you know, maybe I don't have a, you know, a preference of the color green. And they come out in this bright green dress. And they say, what do you think of this dress? Oh, is, is a green a favorite color of yours? Or something along those lines that kind of get a sense about, what it is they like. Yeah. So you're actually answering from their perspective, not now, your perspective. There's an issue with that that I have. If okay. you're being asked a direct question, mm-hmm. do they not deserve a direct answer? If they ask, do you like my dress? Mm-hmm. And you don't like the dress on her for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. If you come at her with a vague approach mm-hmm. where you're trying to bolster her up before you wham her with the truth. Mm. Are you making the error that what you say can hurt her? Because obviously, as a self-sovereign being, nothing can hurt me unless I allow it. It's a good well, point, Ron. That's I think, true. I think one I, of the things, and probably I probably misspoke there, because what I would probably say, and I, I left that out, and I do apologize, I probably would have said, green is not a color I wear. It's not a favorite of mine. Is a green a color you like? Because that's coloring or that is, that's making me make a decision. Right. So I would probably but again, approach but it that again, way. But here, again, here's, here's you're not funny. giving her a direct answer. If she's yeah. asking her no, a direct answer. Yeah. No, there's the funny thing. Now, I, I just, that popped into my mind and there was obviously a reason for it because yeah. I was in a restaurant the other day mm-hmm. and there was two girls beside me who had the tablets and they were looking at dresses to buy. And one was looking back and forth at all these dresses and said, what about this one? And what about this one? They finally narrowed it down to two. And she finally made up her mind on the red one. And I actually leaned over and said, you know, you'd look much better, I believe, in the black one because the color would suit you better. I don't think red would go that well with your complexion and hair. Perfect. And what she said was, but I have all black. And I said, probably because you look so stunning in it. <laughs> good, good answer. And, and it's funny, that just occurred to me. So I've sort of gone full circle here. But mm-hmm. you're right. Thank you for bringing that up, Ron. I actually did that. So it's interesting the way my mind wanted me to say something. Again, are you speaking from integrity yeah. or not? Well, I think when you speak from integrity, too, we can't, whilst we can ask questions and while we can try to be gentle with people, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think a huge component of integrity is honesty. Yeah. And yes. honesty from your heart center. Right. So not honesty like, oh, red would look horrible on you with your complexion. Right. But I think black would look much better given your complexion. Yeah. That's an honest answer. And I think yeah. that's key to the whole topic of integrity. Yeah. Or if you're simply asked, you like this wedding dress on me? And you simply say, mm, no, I don't think so. Not this one. There, there is no underlying, am I going to hurt her with the response? Right. And should I be the one to curtail my response in order for her not to be hurt? Thus, reinforcing the idea that someone else can actually manipulate and hurt you without point. your consent. And it, in the long run, being upfront and, and honest, don't embellish. Mm. Just be honest. And as Karen, you were, you were saying earlier, it depends on the total inflection. Or if you're giving the tonal inflection that you're somehow embarrassed about what you're about ready to say, then yeah, they're going to feel that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so 
just be, being as upfront and as factual as possible. Mm-hmm. The moment you allow your emotions to get in, Mm-hmm. That's when the trouble begins. Well, I think the other thing is too, and as we go th- down this topic, and I think it started on you know the concept of you know little white lies and things yes. like that. Yes. And I often wonder, when one asks for an opinion, does one really want it? So I always try to look at the context of when someone asks me for my opinion. If they're asking me for my opinion to help them make a decision or to help shed light or to add perspective then I tend to be very open and honest. I must admit, though, if someone were to show up my front door and say, hi, here I am, do you love my dress? Mm. I'm a little perplexed as to how to answer that because you're wearing it, you've bought it, you own it. <laughs> yeah. And I think at that point, I have to take a step back. And generally, my, my answer would not be, if I didn't like the dress, I, I would not be dishonest. I would simply move to, you look lovely. Because regardless of what you're wearing, I'd be looking at the person from the inside out. Well, and I think you're getting to a point there because one of the things when people ask questions like that, it's not for us to give, I don't believe, our opinion as to whether we would wear it or buy it or do whatever. You have Mm -hmm. to sort of always put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm -hmm. And is it something they would buy, obviously? If they're asking it, they like the dress. So you just come from, you don't need to come from an opinion space of I'd never buy something like that. Exactly. It has nothing to do with you. It no, has exactly. like, everything to do with them. Yes. And I think that's the key is never jump from your opinionated self on mm. what you think everyone should wear. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that's. Or, or on, the same, on the same vein is trying to interpret a deeper meaning to her request. Yeah. yeah. That usually they want a compliment. <laughs> you know, and and then you could say, well, do you want a compliment or do you want me to address what the dress looks like? I, As I said, the universe doesn't interpret, doesn't stand there and say, well, I think Karen wants this and this and this. Although she said this, this is really what she means. The universe doesn't work like that. It gives you exactly what you ask for. Mm-hmm. So as a self-sovereign being, my take on that would be, if I'm asked a direct question, I give exactly the answer that is being requested of me. A good point. Yeah, good point. I think that's key. And I think that's, I like that's, that. that's why this journey to self-mastery mm-hmm. from a spiritual perspective is so, whilst we always say it's easy, it is not. <laughs> it, it has so many different facets to it, you know, and I, I think that for me, whenever I look at the the concepts of self mastery, I always put my heart into it. Mm-hmm. If if I was if I'm coming from my heart sent, how would I respond, and still be of integrity? Right. You know, what does that look like? Exactly. It's not an easy road. It never was. No. If it was easy, humanity would have ascended on the first <laughs> the first round. Yeah, exactly. Over five, six million years ago, we would have ascended the first time. Yeah. So it's, no, it's it's very difficult. It's extremely difficult. And it's an ongoing process. We keep deepening our understanding about these about these keys to self-mastery and, the, and these responsibilities. The thing that I like about that is because it's an ongoing process, 
then you don't have to worry if I'm getting it right this every every time I doing I'm doing something, and it's not necessary to go through the fires of self forgiveness each time you you fall flat on your face. You can also have humor about it and say, oh, I you know I did a mistake. I'm just going to do a retake. Yeah, mm, exactly. Exactly, and that's that's a very good point. Is people beat themselves up. I mentioned in the introduction that there was three pieces we were going to talk to. On that point about mm-hmm. beating so- someone's up, self up, mm-hmm. you had one that, that you were we were talking about earlier, uh, self-discipline. Yes. And I think that's a good segue into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, definitely self-discipline <laughs> in the form of on your spiritual path is perhaps one of the most difficult that I've encountered on my own spiritual path. Mm. Self-discipline, for me, there's a consistency in self-discipline that needs to be evident before you can master self-discipline. Can you repeat over and over and over again certain aspects of yourself? Control, for instance, control of your thoughts or control of your your emotions. This is where the self-discipline comes in. And I, I was the first to, you know, to admit that, you know, I would walk through a door and there would be a bat on the other side of that door. And wouldn't you know it, I, I would be leery about walking through that door for two or three weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, I drop my guard and I go through that door and that bat would hit me again. Mm. And it, it, these are the, the, the types of self-disciplines that I'm, I'm talking about are not only like emotional self-discipline where you contain you can contain all your emotions and that you don't react emotionally right off the bat or fly off the handle that is a is an, an extremely beneficial form of self-discipline and for me it's for me how i started that would be if someone pushed my button for instance and i saw myself getting very angry one of the things i would i would try to do and i i would do this all the time is i would instantly get quiet and try to withdraw in myself. And I would tell them, I don't have an answer for you right now. Or, you know, this is really troubling me. I need some time to figure this out. But I would allow myself at least four days if if something really bothered me mm-hmm. to try to come to an emotional balance with it. Mm-hmm. And as I continued to do this and give myself the four days, for us, it was, it was addressing the situation in, in a four-directional cardinal situation where that's one of the reasons why we, I gave myself four days. But as I began to practice that more and more, I began to recognize that I didn't need four days. Sometimes I could do two. And then eventually I could do it in one. So there's a self-discipline to all of these aspects, especially your mental thoughts. Mark, you had mentioned earlier about meditation and being being self-disciplined to do it for even five minutes a day. Yeah, and I think that to me, you know, self-discipline, it might be a bit concise, but it brings in three things. And to me, it brings in consciousness, awareness, and action, as opposed to being subconscious, habitual, and procrastinating Mm. Uh, (laughs) so it's directing your energies to outcomes you desire and also in many cases as you get more into it acting quickly when opportunities arise because they always will arise quickly not always they they will many times so to me it's 
as you said, you go and think about it for, for a while. And that's being becoming more conscious, more aware, and deciding what actions you're going to take. It is, it is literally directing your energies and thought to outcomes you desire if you get to the right end, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's very important. And it seems to be missing in a lot of people today. It's, yes. It's, and, as I said earlier, it's one of the tough ones. Self-discipline oh, yeah. is a tough one. People tend yeah. to lash out. Mm-hmm. If someone's button gets pushed, rather than thinking whether it be for 30 seconds, one minute, one day, four days, they just lash out. And yeah. you can't take that back. That's very true. And and again, it uh, goes to what we were talking earlier uh, about integrity is, mm-hmm. as you said, Ron, it, you found it didn't take you four days. It took you two, took you one, then all of a sudden it takes you three minutes at some point. Mm-hmm. It's when you get to that point by continually working at it that none of these things we bring up in the way of integrity or other things we'll talk about in the future, when you have self-discipline and you're conscious and you're aware and you move in that direction, all of these things become Mm -hmm. non-problems. They are problems to us now because we're not conscious and aware. We haven't thought it through. We haven't thought about you know, like we're talking today about the full awareness of why we do it, what we should say, why we should say it, and soaking that in and saying, okay, that makes sense. I'll try and do that more often. And it's that persistency mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. trying to do it that will get you there. Well, and I think, too, when we talk about self-discipline, as it's, it is a practice, it also allows us over a period of time to understand, I think, Ron, as you were saying, when your buttons get pushed, mm-hmm. being more conscious and more aware of what pushes your buttons, why your buttons are pushed, mm-hmm. and does it matter when your buttons are pushed? And I think that as I know for myself, a lot of times when I would feel like I wanted you know, to go out there and just lash out or scorch out, it's because a button was pushed. But the more aware I became, I understood or began to understand that my buttons didn't have to be pushed. I was okay to be a little bit more in control of myself Mm -hmm. and someone else's opinion did not make or break me. Also, for me, whenever I experience a negative emotion, whatever form, I know somewhere down deep inside me, there is a belief that I have embraced that is not uh, in alignment with who I say I am or want to be. Right. So there is Mm -hmm. a core belief down there that I will need to find and address in order for me not to be pushed um, emotionally in the same, the next time that that happens again. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a discovery, again, of your core beliefs. And a lot of times what I tell people, when you're looking for something um, to change a core belief be, because of an illness or because you're, you're angry as hell and you, need, and, you know, and you want to lash out, when you hit that core belief, this core belief will be extremely fearful to the ego. The ego will not want to let <laughs> yes. it go. It will, it will appear that you are justified in your actions. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the reasons why most people fail to address some of the basic core belief systems that they have, end up repeating the pattern over and over mm-hmm. and over again. The same pattern will come back. It can change form, but it, it will always come back to them. It's because of a, of a belief system that no longer is in alignment with who they say they want to be. Right. So they yep. have to change that and turn that around. So emotions are always an indication, as what grandmother would say, they're always an indication, ah, 
here's something that I need to learn. Mm-hmm. Very true. That, in many ways, is what emotions are there for, is to, exactly. to highlight things so you do learn. Yes. And on the other side of that, joyful emotions are always an indication that you are in alignment with who you say and you want to be. Well, that's true. We shouldn't forget that instant laughter over a nice story or, or whatever happened and, and uh, to a joke or whatever and is, is always a good thing. So there's some emotions you can give into. Yeah. As we said, as long as the jokes are not putting someone down no, at someone yeah. else's expense. Yeah, but uh, what I'm getting at is emotions are demonstrating to you just where you are in your thinking. Mm-hmm. Yes. If your thinking is not in alignment, it will produce emotions that reflect that. If your thinking is in alignment with who, what, in, in what you are and what you want to be, your vision, the best of yourself, then your emotions will also reflect that. So that your emotions are like a barometer to, yes. your, to your thoughts. Yeah. It's interesting that there are so many these days coming out in people on so many fronts. Mm. A lot of it seems to be directed at what people believe to be either unloving actions or unjust actions in their mind or or things that harm other people. When you look at the whole environmental issues, for instance, Mm -hmm. I always remember this group of people were protesting something that environmentalists were, not environmentalists, sorry, the opposite, the group of people were doing, and they were actually getting violent Mm. and, and attacking these people. And I'm going... Yeah, I, I understand your emotions are that strong, but all it did was exasperate the situation and make it worse so mo- the people became more entrenched on both sides. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you take self-discipline and observation and becoming conscious and aware, that's where you can use that to begin talking to the people. You can begin moving awareness in them to show them what harm they may be doing and move things in that direction. It all boils down to that belief in being belief in victim victimizers mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that you know you this time around you can be the victim and then all of a sudden you start to get your back up and without recognizing it you have just turned the tables and now you're the victimizer right right yeah. absolutely yeah and that battle has been going on for over 450 billion years mm-hmm. way before the human race was brought on brought into the scene in fact this is the main virus that our time matrix has been attempting to heal mm-hmm. for over 450 billion years and yes. we're still looking at it today we're yeah. still seeing it today it's you a know? biggie it is huge yeah it's uh, i don't know why the story came to mind but I'll relay it anyway, because it always, it always sort of surprised me. And I guess in myself, I have to have some self-discipline around it. In that it was in England, they were having you know the fox hunt, mm-hmm. yeah. and people were uh, up in arms. Certain people were up in arms about how badly this was treating the foxes, and they're running in terror. And and why would you do that to an animal? While I agree that from a love and integrity point of view, that's not a very loving thing to do to something else, a living creature. But what they did was they hid behind the hedges that they knew they were going to go along the path to jump over. And they had two-by-fours. And as the horses jumped over, they broke the legs of the horses and killed them. To me, that just sort of totally non sequitur. (laughs) Like, where is their conscious awareness about what they're doing if they're concerned about animals? Right. Uh, But they weren't, you see. They got so focused they were only worried about the foxes. They didn't mm-hmm. care about any other animals, obviously, or they wouldn't have, breaking the horse's legs essentially killed them. I mean, not immediately, but a lot of them had to be put down. 
And I'm going, how can people get to that point of being so unaware? Mm-hmm. And, and that story always stuck with me for years now. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting because the discipline in there would be, you know, if there's a part of themselves that agrees that hunting animals, for instance, um, is not a um, an honorable thing to do. Right. Then uh, holding on to your discipline and whenever you're invited to it, again, um, integrity, having integrity to address the imbalance rather than go with it because, oh, you know, it's the sport. It's the social thing to do. I don't want to be a social outcast. Any number of reasons to begin to, to sacrifice your integrity and stop practicing the, the discipline of maintaining your integrity. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's another thing. Discipline for maintaining integrity is also another discipline that that a spiritual person would will eventually embrace. Yes, uh, and that brings in the oneness from that whole angle as well. Right. Oh, yes. It, it brings in the integrity towards all life and all things on earth. Well, and I think about when we when we talk about all of the steps to mastery, mm-hmm. much of it has to do with our own self awareness. Always, always. It always. It's yes. the only thing. As yes. I said before, with with the self sovereign self, it, it's everything to do with you and where you right. are at. Right. Mm. You know, some people say, you know, if you want world peace, the first place and the only place that it has to begin is within yourself. Right. Oh, exactly, and that goes full circle to what the whole program is about: is being self sovereign. Exactly. Yes. When you become self sovereign, your energies and who you are, people will begin to emulate you because mm-hmm. they can feel that you're coming, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people will feel where you're coming from. They will feel who you are and they will go, that's what I desire too. I know. And and more often than not, people who want world peace or whatever, and they go out and they're trying to wrestle the exterior reality, the mm-hmm. form that is outside themselves. They're, they're, they keep pounding away in it, yeah. chipping away in it. And, you know, it never works. No. It never, it never works that way. Real change has to come from within. It cannot yeah. come from without. That's Good line. Sure. I like that. Yeah. And it's so true. And maybe that's part of the problem of, well, it is, you just said, but there are so many things where people try and do it externally. Yes. As opposed to within. And what mm-hmm. they're demonstrating, like the people breaking the legs of the horses, I just looked at it and go, you're not demonstrating a care for animals at all. It, it's just sort of, Wow. Well, it goes back to what we started with, lead by example, walk mm-hmm. the talk, be. It's in, it's in the being that mm-hmm. actually will make, will create the change. Yes, be, yes. What, be what you want the world to be. Right. Meaning that you inside yourself have the entire world within you. Mm-hmm. Once you recognize that, you and you begin to to look at all of the, the the keys to self mastery, all of these things that we're bringing in to the the program and self sovereignty. Once you begin to practice all of those things, the world that's within you begins to change. Mm-hmm. And once the world within you begins to change, the world without will begin to change. Exactly. And as we talk about the steps to mastery, these are all of the processes and part of the journey that we go on as we try to master mm-hmm. this process. It's and a become more process. aware. Yes. Yep. Yep. It is a process. As I said, you won't you won't get these overnight. Oh goodness no. Um, and this is where discipline comes in because with discipline you recognize that you're not going to be efficient the first time you do something around. And it will take a training. You'll have to train yourself in various aspects in order to become proficient. Yes. Just like yes. learning how to write. Yes. 
Yes. Eventually, if you Learning keep practicing, to... you can become a superb writer. <laughs> That's right. Learning to be a public speaker. Yep. Yeah. That was a one that terrified me. Yep. I, never wanted, I never wanted to be a public speaker. Ever, mm. ever, ever. Thank goodness for Martin and um, the introduction to this show. Thank you. Um, I've become far more comfortable at speaking than I ever dreamed possible. Well, and thank goodness because you bring so many good insights to people and things they can think about and move themselves forward that the world would be a far lesser place if you didn't. Here, here. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's one other thing I wanted to bring into self-discipline, and I, I brought in consciousness and awareness and uh, action. Mm-hmm. But I also I always have a vision as well. Mm-hmm. I always like to look on it, too, as though don't forget that you can dream, you can picture what you desire, and it helps you move towards it. Because as you begin to see where you want to go and vision where you want to go, it helps move you there as well. And there are many things that can move you there. And I guess we've talked about quite a few of them on the program over time. Uh, And one we keep repeating is vision can easily come with meditation. And meditation can be important in clearing your mind so it doesn't have all this extraneous gunk keep coming in. (laughs) So you can actually get that conscious awareness and clarity and and move into uh, action and vision. All of those are very important in, in moving much of this forward. Virtually everything we talk about brings all of that into it every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And, and for some, Martin, and it's a great point, for some, I know when I first started meditating, it freaked me out. Um, I love to talk. So I'm thinking, you want me to sit quietly <laughs> <laughs> for a long period of time? And I think from my perspective, one thing I found around meditation is I don't always feel comfortable spending 20 minutes or 30 minutes in meditation. Not always. Sometimes it's 20 seconds. Sometimes it's 30 seconds. doesn't always have to just be sitting quietly. It could be going out and visiting Mother Nature. It could be lying on the grass. It could be going for a walk. There are so many different forms of meditation that people can engage in, and it doesn't have to be initially for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. It can be whatever works for whatever stage you're at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One that always comes to mind for me is there's something just about sitting on a rock on the edge of a river mm. and listening to it run, you know, run over rocks and the woods around and everything. It just puts me in a state of contemplativeness and it moves me back into myself. Now, that's just me, but no, well, it's actually, one of those... It's, when I was training with Grandmother Parisha, one of the things that she did with us was we had to, at least once a year, do a traditional vision quest. Mm. It's been stated that leaders who do not have a vision for their people, their people will die. Vision is essential. It's an absolute essential if you're wanting to project and continue forward into the future. So vision, Martin, is a, is a major thing. And that's one of the reasons why Grandmother would always have us doing a vision quest every year. The traditional vision quest was four nights, five days with no food or water out on the land. And she would graciously allow us a blanket. No, no clothing or anything. And I remember that first time that I did my first vision quest, that was a most amazing, amazing thing. That was another thing with regards to vision questing. She often would say, don't go and research what a vision quest is. Mm. You know, I would rather you go in as a virgin and not know 
what to expect than fill your head with concepts and ideas of other people's experiences only to compare your vision quest while you're in it to whether or not it compares to theirs and whether you're succeeding or not. She would often tell us, don't go research anything. When you want to do something new, do it fresh, do it absolutely without any research of going into it. That used to scare the bejeebies out of me, by the way, <laughs> because it was like, oh, well, I, I, then I'm not going to be prepared. Mm. But I, I, my first vision quest was exactly that. I never went and researched any books. I didn't Google it, what is a vision quest? Of course, I don't think there was Google at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I never researched it. Mm. And, and I deliberately stayed away from filling my mind with any preconceived notions of what it was. And it's wonderful with regards to vision questing because you can come away with such an amazing insight. It's well beyond the one, you know, the 15 minute meditation at this point. Because when you're doing your vision quest, you're secluded in that one spot. Um, in tradition, in, in my original traditional vision quest, there I was. It was in a hole in the ground. And you stayed in that hole, rain or shine, whatever type of weather, and you never came out until you had successfully completed your four days. Yeah. I, I can honestly tell you the, the, the clarity of thinking that occurs once you've accomplished a vision quest is phenomenal. The, it's, yeah. It is just phenomenal. And That's it's true. the same thing with meditation. Meditation does the same thing. Yeah. It, 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 I just wanna, it yeah. just clarifies your mental thinking. Yes. To me, it makes sense because when I believe I should meditate and begin procrastinating and, and not doing it, I end up on the computer or flip the television on or do this or do mm -hmm. that. With a vision quest, it moves you into that space and takes all these extraneous things away from you so you can't make an excuse for not going inside yourself and seeing what, mm -hmm. what you're about. And that's that's what I love about it, even though I haven't done one, and I keep saying mm -hmm. I will, but there you go, procrastinating. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting, Martin, because we all say, and I, I, I do it myself, oh, I don't have time to meditate, I've got this, I've got that, yes. I've got the next thing, yes. Yes. and yet I still check my email, Yeah. I still flip oh, on the TV, mm -hmm. I still look out the window, and I, and I think, wow. If I had just meditated, I'd be done by now. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> you know? And, and, and it, it could be just as simple as I said before, when you're washing the dishes, mm -hmm. rather than let your mind go nilly-willy all over the place while you're washing the dishes, try to do that three-pronged step of where you listen to something that you might hear the clock, for instance, in, in the room. So what you would be doing would be listening to the clock feeling the water on your hands, and trying not to think. And, and that's it exactly. Rotate, and as you rotate around those things, your awareness to the sound, your water's doing the dishes, I'm not thinking. So it's amazing. So you, even when you're doing regular stuff, you can meditate. You can, you can be meditating. You can you be can, meditating. And you don't have to allow yourself to go into the mind chatter stuff. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that's key, Ron. That's, a, that's an excellent point because I think a lot of times, whilst meditation can be just simply being quiet mm -hmm. and sitting and meditating as we all know it, mm -hmm. you can meditate wherever you are. I, I used to suffer from panic attacks. Mm. So for me, mind breathing consciously thinking about my breath yes. would get me out of a panic attack. I did not know 
25 years ago that that was a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, oh my goodness, breathe in, breathe out, focus on your breathing, shut out the chatter so you will stop seeing the room spin, so you will stop panicking. I had no idea what the, the name for that was. Mm-hmm. I've learned today that was a form of meditation, mm-hmm. just mindful breathing. And, and people might not have time for a, a full Vision Quest four day, let alone trying to find a venue or, you know, a medicine carrier that you would trust in order to be there for you while you're doing your, med- your, your Vision Quest. Not everybody will follow the, the course of, of Native Indigenous medicine practices. Another traditional Native medicine thing would be called something like a walkabout, where you take yourself, it's like a vacation, but a vacation with a purpose where you're going from one location to another to another. You're walking about and you're open. You're seeking clarification. Yeah. Again, another way of, of eliciting a vision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I did a sensory deprivation tank once. There's interesting, yes. And it didn't work well for me, but I can understand to talking to other people of how well it works for them. And just a short story, the reason... It didn't work for me. Is is you're in extremely salt, salty water, right? And you're locked in this tank, and you're floating on top of it. But I got an itchy eye and forgot, and went and rubbed my eye. Oh, the salt water just all oh, the pain was not so great. No. So of course, for the next hour, I was trying to figure out how I get the salt out of my eye, so I'm not in so much pain. <laughs> I'm not sure that was the best meditation route, but but I can no. understand where that works. Yes. And now I know what not to do. But yeah, there's many, many roots to it. Again, meditation is always a form of sense deprivation Mm -hmm. where you're trying to eliminate the input from your five senses as much as possible in order to go within. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think the dishes, washing dishes and all that works so well, just like vacuuming and doing it is because you're doing a Mm -hmm. repetitive task. Yes. Uh, Like listening to the ticking of the clock. It's a repetitive task like paying attention to your breathing mm-hmm. that moves you into thinking about one thing you can concentrate on and everything else disappears. Right. Well, again, if you're also focused on action outside yourself, listening to the clock is outside mm-hmm. yourself. Feeling, even with your hands on your, on your lap, for instance, feeling your hands on your knees, that's an external, external sense. Mm-hmm. And when you're focused on external sense, you have a tendency to quiet the mind. Right. And when you quiet the mind, your emotions also respond. Yeah, focus. Yes, mm-hmm. so it's a forced focus. Mm-hmm. I love this the the one meditation that this gentleman does. I call him the modern day uh, Doctor Doolittle, where he he uh, that's exactly what he does. He listens to a sound, senses his hands or or a touch of some sort, and keeps his focus on one thing all always in the presence of an animal and it's amazing how these animals respond the horses all next to him in the, in the fields will suddenly start to drop and lie down i mm. i have never seen anything so respond so spontaneously to the a person's you know meditation state and he was doing it with cats and animals with a, a wild lion just amazing results with regards mm-hmm. to that form of meditation and the fact that he would lower his thoughts and while he was lowering his thoughts his emotions would respond and because his emotions responded the animals also picked that up recognized hey it's this person that is causing me to feel good that my agitated emotions are no longer there. I'm feeling really, really good. And then the animal eventually falls into an alpha state. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's when the healing happens. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love what this, this gentleman does. 
it's a perfect example of how our energy affects everything around us and everyone around us and how we can actually consciously and deliberately use it to bring that calmness. Yeah. Uh, In fact, he does the same thing with you. Yes. He follows you around the house, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. He follows me everywhere. He meditates with me. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes he decides he's not meditating when I'm meditating. He meditates later. <laughs> but that's usually an indicate that he recognizes where his feel-good experience is generated from. Yes. He looks, he looks to you now to feel good. That's the one thing that I thought with this, with this form of meditation, it was like we all hear the concept of air being all one. There's only one air. So when you're in your apartment and you lock the door, the air can have a distinct smell, a, a, a distinct feeling. But then when you go outside, it's a completely different shift in air. It might be more, but it's all the same air. Mm-hmm. I look at it as being all the same mind. Everybody is of one mind. And this ability to be able to calm your mind has a tendency to be able to calm the, the animal's mind right next to you, showing just that oneness of spirit and everything. And that's certainly what quantum physics is saying and, and everything else out there at the moment and what mm. we're beginning to learn is that everything is connected. There is no isolation of anything. Exactly. From one end of the far universe to the other, we're all mm-hmm. connected to all of it. That's why it's so important to become your sovereign self. As you become loving and peaceful and, and who you are and have integrity, as we were talking about in self-discipline, you bring that to other people. And it is who you are being that radiates out to other people. And they, they automatically pick part of it up. Mm-hmm. And you change the world by becoming who we wish to be. Mm, it's not exactly. an external change. It's an internal change, internal. which automatically affects everything externally. But the strength is from within your sovereign self. And I hate to say it, folks, but we are about one minute from the end of the program again. <laughs> well, I'm thinking we're going to have to continue this. We didn't even get to respect. And there's so many other yeah. steps to mastery. Oh, yes. Yes. More to talk about. More to talk about. I hope everyone out there found this interesting. Mm-hmm. And as always, have a great week. Yes, everybody. Have a wonderful, freedom-filled week. Perfect. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Sovereign Self. We will be back with another show that will celebrate the beauty and perseverance of you and your sovereign self. If you would like more information or to send questions to Martin, Karen or Ron, please go to their Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash sovereign self. See you next week.